Hey everybody, welcome back to Rappin' with Reef Bum. I'm your host, Keith Berkelhammer. Happy New Year to everybody. Happy 2021, and thank goodness we're putting 2020 in the rearview mirror. Anyway, uh, as you can see on my screen, today I have the pleasure of welcoming Jim Graham, who's also known as Telegram on Instagram and YouTube. Hey, Jim. Hey, he, uh, he actually... For, for uh, those of you that may know, does his own live stream program on YouTube. So once again, I have a fellow live streamer on the show. And, and Jim does have a very large following on Instagram with over 4,400 followers. <clears throat> so Jim has been in the reefing hobby for a little over eight years. And a friend gave Jim his current 45-gallon reef tank, and he hasn't looked back. His enjoyment of hobbies started at a young age. Taking things apart, photography, early Apple computers that only old people know. <laughs> Remote control, airplane flying. That's RC flying, right, Jim? Okay, yep, I figured correct. that out. Movie, television, extra work. Wow, you're, in, uh, you're an extra in, in movies and, and TV. That's pretty cool. Motorcycle test riding and completing two Ironman events or a few of the things that have kept him busy. Wow. That, uh, that's quite a, uh, a list of hobbies there, Matt. He's also retired Air Force. Thank you for your service there, Jim. Formerly assigned to the KC-135 Aerial Refueler, the B-2 Stealth Bomber. Wow. This is highly classified stuff, I imagine. And the YAL-1A Airborne Laser. The laser. Additionally, Jim appreciates kind people and is a fan of technology. Well, I guess we could all figure that out. <laughs> yeah, Roger, Matt. Jim, man, welcome to the show. I appreciate you being here. Thanks so much, Keith. It's awesome. Uh, it's awesome to be here. I really appreciate the invite and look forward to this talk. Yeah, listen, everybody, thanks for, uh, for tuning in. Let me know if, if we're, uh, we're sounding good in terms of the audio. I, I think we're, uh, we're good on that front. But um, Moki, Inappropriate Reefers here. Thanks, man, for showing up. Carlos23, thanks for tuning in. Simulator Reality, hey, what's up? And uh, we got a whole bunch of other folks. So we're going to have a nice, long, I think, very interesting discussion because Jim and I actually met, I don't know, what was it, a few weeks ago via, via yep. Instagram. And, and uh, I, had, I had some um, questions about the new GHL Mitras that I had set up over my, uh, my new Peninsula tank. And and Jim was recommended to me because Jim has, uh, has Amitras himself and has done a lot of digging into those uh, light fixtures. And we're going to talk about other light fixtures that, that Jim has uh, dug into. But I'm, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here, Jim, talking about these Mitras because I really want to get uh, very detailed in terms of your impressions of them and all that sort of thing. But Jim helped me out with the Mitras, and, and he was actually able, able to provide me with a spectrum that mimicked Tell me if I'm um, I'm wrong in terms of the way I'm um, putting this together, but uh, that mimicked yep. the uh, the spectrum for 400 watt 20k Hamilton bulbs and 250 watt um, uh, 20k radium bulbs. So it was. It, yep, that's really close. Right. Yeah. Ultimately, what it looks like is those uh, the Radeon AB plus spectrum mimics the older radium metal halide bulbs. 
and then uh, we were able to recreate some of that spectrum. There are some subtle differences, but and we talked through some of that. But uh, that's what that spectrum mimics. Right. So we're we're, we're going to get more in, into detail in terms of that stuff. But that's kind of like how Jim and I started, um, kind of connected, and he was very helpful to me and and was just uh, awesome in terms of helping out a fellow hobbyist. And I want to uh, publicly thank you, Jim, for uh, for doing that. That was um, that was awesome. So thank you, so you know. When, in my discussions with Jim, one thing that he uh, talks about, he's, he's mentioned it a couple of times, is that um, he likes to kind of take equipment apart to see if it's maintainable, right? C yep, can, you, totally. uh, can you explain what you mean by maintainable? Yeah, I can. First, if, if it makes sense the way the machine looks, no matter what it is, whether it's a light or a pump or something, if it, if it just sort of makes sense as you're holding it, you can see what makes it work potentially. And then if it has screws or the ability to disassemble that, because ultimately everything we have, I don't care what it is, everything we have will break. It's just a matter of time. And you have, some folk have the ability to make these repairs at home. If you take the time to do some learning, to contact a manufacturer, sometimes they'll support that. Other hobbyists online providing videos, how-tos, uh, you can learn a whole lot of these skills maybe that you otherwise wouldn't had just by using the equipment. You can learn and take them apart and potentially repair them yourselves. So we're going to, uh, we're going to talk about a few things that you um, believe are maintainable and a few things you believe are, are not maintainable. And, and uh, I think it's pretty interesting in terms of the, uh, the things that you have around that you've tinkered with to uh, kind of figure all that yep. stuff out. So I, I forgot to mention one thing, and I got to get this out of the way at the, be, uh, the beginning of the show before I forget. So on your, uh, on your YouTube channel and Instagram feed, there's a picture of a guy with a wig. A, yep. is that you? And B, what, what's up with that? <laughs> yeah, that was me. So when I was, actually, that was, that was when I retired from the Air Force. Um, so in 2008, I was cleaning out my garage in Tehachapi, California, and I had a ton of stuff in the garage, of course, equipment that I had taken apart, a lot of computers, a lot of other goodies. A buddy of mine, Dave, was over, and he was collecting all that. I was leaving. I was like, here, take this. I had given away a motorcycle to another friend. I mean, there was just some things that I needed to get rid of, and this was one of them. Dave comes rolling over. For whatever reason, my grandmother, who's still alive, hi, D., she uh, had sent my daughter this blonde wig, and I had found it while I was cleaning out the garage. So to celebrate my retirement from the short-haired military, I was rocking this <laughs> blonde wig. And Dave, Dave took my picture of that. I'm actually, the shirt I'm wearing is from the Iron Man production that we had, we had helped with on Edwards Air Force Base. And uh, I got the Iron Man shirt, and I've got the blonde wig going on. That's how that, that's how that all started. So, folks, if you haven't seen it already, go check out uh, Telegram on, on YouTube and Instagram, and you will see what we are talking about. <laughs> <laughs> that's, my, that's my profile picture on every social media platform. All right, so, <clears throat> Jim, this is uh, Wrapping with Reef Bomb, and this is a, a, a live stream, and we're talking about reef keeping here. So... Let's kind of establish how you got into the hobby. What, what was the story behind that? You, you were, you've been doing this for eight years. How did, how did you get into reef keeping? Yeah, I, uh, I had kept freshwater in the past, took a long break from that. Uh, a friend of mine that I worked with, Shane, he kept talking about it. We had a fish tank in the office that he and I shared. Uh, it was a reef tank, had a NEM, had uh, a couple of clowns. 
And one day he's like, I have a tank and I'm going to bring it to you. If I, if I want it back, you have to bring it back to me, but you can use this to start reefing and see how you like it. And that's totally how it started. It shows up in the boiler room of our workplace. I go check it out. It's just sand, some funky that's living down in the bottom of that thing. I bring it home. I literally placed it and filled it with the hose. <laughs> I pulled the hose in from outside. You didn't know any better, did you? Dump. I didn't know, <laughs> and I'm dumping sand or uh, dumping salt in there with hose water. Heated it up, and I was like, "Reef tank, y'all, let's go." <laughs> That's how it started. It's the same fish tank. It's the same tank that I have in the corner of. Uh, so of how, how long did it take you to figure out that you shouldn't be using? Um, water from the hose to fill up a reef tank entirely too long because <laughs> that led to a whole bunch of weird things growing in the tank a whole lot of uh right i was not successful it took a long time for me to figure it out and i'm listening to i'm listening to jane i'm watching youtube that's when i first started paying attention to what was going on in the reef scene and uh uh yeah actually moki's moki's videos were one of the first ones i started watching oh wow to help me get over that's back in the days when he was filling up his big jug of water at the grocery store. We were we were working on the same plane there for a while. Oh, so you guys actually li live close to one another? We do. He's pretty close. He's a few miles down oh, the road. Oh, cool. Incredibly helpful resource to have close, especially when you're starting Yeah, yeah, out. for sure. So uh, Jim was uh, kind enough to shoot a very, very short video of his uh, tank setup. So <laughs> I'm, I'm running it. Uh, I'm going to run it right now. We've got this uh, 20 to 30 second um, wag that's going to come through, but why don't you just quickly describe, because it's a quick video. <laughs> it is a quick what, video. What you got going on here. <laughs> <laughs> the first scene is a little bit of a cherry bomb, uh, and then that cuts into other, uh, other coral that are growing in the display tank, if you will. It's a small tank. It's connected to the, the uh, frag tank that's in the adjacent closet, and all of those, those tanks and a fuge all share the water, but you can see the various critters that I have grown in that tank. It's awesome, man. The colors in there are just um, incredible. And um, so let's, let's just kind of dig into it a little bit, and then we're going to get into the whole equipment stuff. But um, okay. what, what, uh, what's in there in terms of sub, is any substrate, sand? Is this bare bottom? Display has sand, and the frag tank is bare bottom. Okay. And then they all share water, and it's somewhere around 90 gallons. Okay. And did you start it with dry rock, live rock? I started, oh, that's a great question. So I believe this is back in the day, so that would have been Pacific East Aquaculture. I would have purchased live rock from them one of the first visits when I was out that way. And then I have collected dry rock from uh, various sources along the way. Okay. So it's a little bit of a hybrid. It's a mess is what it is. It's swamp tank. Right now it's, I mean, just the fact that you can see through this, through the glass, uh, that says something. I did do a lot of cleaning. Actually, it's a pretty good shape right now. We'll you, uh, you dressed it up a little bit uh, for, the, for, the, uh, for the video. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> Top down is a real good view for me because sometimes I can Top see down is typically uh, probably the, the best view you can have of a reef tank. It's, uh, it's sort of yep. cheating a little bit, but uh, I always say that, uh, you know what? When you got circulation going on, you're never looking top down in a, in a reef tank. You're always looking through the sides. Yet, um, you know, coral vendors and, and others. I mean, I'll admit, I take top down shots. It looks darn yeah. good, but in reality, in reality, you're really never looking top down and seeing what you're seeing through the uh, videos and, and the, uh, the photos. 
Hopefully, hopefully I'm not going to have a lot of uh, blowback by the viewers on that uh, comment there. But uh. <laughs> uh, it's a good view, right? I turn the pumps off and feed the fish, and I've got a copper band in that tank, and that requires different feeding. It won't eat pellets, so uh, it it patiently waits while the other fish eat, and then I drop uh, drop the goodies in. For so it. just tell us a little bit more about the setup in terms of the equipment. You, you know, I'm, I'm assuming you've got a skimmer on there, and and uh, what are you using for um, calcium and alkalinity? Uh, no skimmer? Okay. Uh, well, a baby skimmer, and I totally use it just as a an air stone. I rarely empty the cup. It's a very small little nano skimmer in a tiny little maybe 8-gallon sump. It's the only thing that would fit underneath the stand. Calcium and alkalinity, it's Kalkwasser nonstop. That's a constant drip driven with a BRS 1.1 ml pump that just constantly runs. And then that, at, at one point along the way, I surpassed the ability of calc to keep up with alc and calcium consumption. Huh. So then I supplement with two-part on top of that. That's, that's interesting. You don't hear that too often. Usually it's uh, the, the primary, if you're doing the two-part, then um, you're, you're not, um, typically you're not hearing a lot of people using Kalkwasser. But um, usually if you've got a calcium reactor going, it would be supplementing with the Kalkwasser to kind of drive that pH up a little bit. But uh, that's interesting to me that you're kind of going old school there with a Kalkwasser as a main source of calcium and alkalinity uh, supplementation. It was, it was the only source for a really long time. And then once the corals took over, then it was time to add. I didn't want to change because the calc was good. And then I, can, I don't have to use that much two-part. Maybe, I don't know, maybe 40 to 60 mil per day. Just to keep up with what the yeah, that, you know for that size system that's that's a pretty good amount of uh, thus I'm drinking <laughs> yeah my my uh, my system I'm I'm consuming close to 300 uh, it's you know the corals in my tank are consuming close to 300 mLs a day of yep. um, of two part and uh, do you use a um, a manufactured uh, two part or you do your own uh, homemade recipe I'm using BRS BR, BRS right 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 right. Yeah. Um, what about uh, coral feeds, aminos? Use any of that stuff? Yeah, I'm on the fence about aminos. I really don't. I haven't fully bought in on uh, what it's going to do for the corals. I understand a little bit of the science behind it, and I've contemplated sending off some samples to better understand what's going on in that in that magic juice that we're, I'm throwing in the tank. But um, <laughs> you know, it's. Uh, I don't spot feed any of the corals, uh, but I do use Coral Frenzy products. They've always treated me well, and it's a it's dual purpose for me. The the LPS they like it, the fish like it. I don't have to come up with separate foods. What about key parameters? What are they at? Generally, right now, I know for certain that my alkalinity is rock solid at eight. Um, up until just recently, I hadn't measured calcium since maybe May. Wow. I don't do a whole lot of testing. Uh, once I started auto testing, then I started keeping up with some of the other parameters. Generally, it's a little bit of maybe maybe weekly. It was weekly alkalinity and monthly or sometimes quarterly other testing with an occasional IFCP thrown in. What, um, what, what were, have you been testing at all for nitrates and phosphates? I do, yeah, and I dose. So it's a combination of a couple things. I do dose no pox to keep that bacterial colony healthy and keep feeding it. But because that performs a little bit of, you know, it does the reduction aspect for uh, nitrates and phosphates. It uh, then I, and I also have a, and whatever, this is all sort of weird. I do that dosing to 
keep the bacteria healthy. And then I also have a fuge just to sort of level everything out. But then I'm also dosing nitrates and phosphates, which kind of seems counterproductive, but it all sort of dampens each other out and it remains relatively stable. I, I, I'm not sure if I caught it. What, uh, what levels are you at with nitrates and phosphates? Nitrates and phosphates, there's one on phosphates, and nitrates are right around 12. Okay, gotcha. So we, uh, we talked about the... 01, oh, sorry. 0.01 phosphates? Yeah. Okay. No, point, point 0.1. Point 0.1 for, for phosphates. Yeah, phosphates. gotcha. Okay. Sorry. So at the, uh, at the beginning of the show, we, uh, we briefly talked about how you helped me with the, uh, with the Mitras, and um, those are the lights you have over that tank, right? Over the frag tank. Over yes. the frag tank, but not the um, display. Correct. What do you have over the uh, display? Gen 4 XR30. So let's, uh, let's, let's dig into this stuff a little bit. Um, what, um, are you, what, what light profile are you using Spectrum for both tanks? Are you using the same one? Or are you using different ones? Or? It's a, uh, it's, well, the AB Plus is running over the display tank. The rear Metris is a lower uh, par AB plus, uh, that simulated AB plus that I built for the matrix. And then the forward matrix runs much hotter because the majority of, of the brighter acros are underneath that. So it's, a, it, it's running close to a hundred percent. Temperature gets pretty close to a hundred percent. And that is, uh, reduced whites and blue as hot as I can get it. What, um, what part do you, uh, find to be the most effective for uh, your corals in those tanks? I really think it's, you know, right, I mean, you say it in those tanks. I think it's dependent upon the tank and what the coral are acclimated to. That one, that tank can go anywhere from 200 at the base, the frag tank, where the acros are, up to around 600 at the higher acros that I'll put closer to the lights up near the surface. So you, um, on, on your channel, it's interesting because you've done a lot of videos and that um, talk about testing equipment and, and, and what have you. And I think I saw that you tested PAR meters, right? Yeah, I tested, I, I uh, got all of the PAR meters together that I could get from Apogee, uh, various users locally. Moki offered up his, his 410, I think, because this is a, yeah, a 510, sorry. This is a 500 here. And then the less expensive ones, the 210. So what, what, what do you like in terms of a, um, a good quality PAR meter that's affordable for the hobbyist? What, if you had to make a recommendation, I'm not saying like somebody on a big budget, but somebody that um, you know, can spend a little bit of money on, on, on a um, decent product, what would you uh, recommend? Yeah, a couple options. So the Apogee 210 is a nice, a nice PAR meter. It can measure the majority of every light that is going to be over a hobbyist tank. It doesn't do a good job on UV, but then again, the majority of the lights, sans the Kessels or the GHL Metris or a couple other offerings out there don't actually offer UV, so it's not it's not a problem. Um, the Radeon is it doesn't have UV, so you're not missing out anything if you're if you're measuring with a, an Apogee 210. Uh, also the Senai. So if you need something that maybe is a little less expensive, and BRS did a really good job of uh, comparing that way back in the day, um, the Senai is a great option, and I have one of those too. So you um, you've also talked about in your channel spectrometer um, spectrometers, and and you've tested them. Why? What are they, and why are they important to you? Spectrometers like. 
like this this thing is fantastic this is you've seen some of this uh some of this used on on a lot of light reviews it gives you an understanding of what the light is actually doing because i i hear often and i totally understand it that this light will grow coral better or this light will grow coral better but when you put a spectrometer underneath, you totally get an understanding of what the light is. There's no voodoo that the that the spectrometer isn't catching. The spectrometer is seeing everything from somewhere around um, maybe 350, 400, less than 400. So maybe three or yeah, 385 up to you know above 600, 660, 700, 800 nanometers. You can see what the light looks like. It gives you the opportunity to visualize that spectrum and then tune it accordingly. That's how we were able to mimic your very close to your metal halides. Right, right. Um, so let's let's discuss a little bit in terms of your um, experience and and what you call the uh, maintainability of the different yeah. lights that you have, um, you know, over your tanks and you've tested that you have sitting around in your garage, you know, what have you. Um, what um so let's let's first talk about the um the uh you know the um the ecotech radeon fives which i believe you have tested right i have i've not taken a five apart i had a uh, gen five blue that a local reefer allowed me to take apart thank you lynn and uh, not take apart but certainly shoot the spectrum and understand the uh spread uh that's a that's a that's a nice light i mean it's it's got um Great market share, right? I mean, you, you find that oh, many, many reef keepers go with those uh, radions. So uh, why do you think that is? I mean, is, is it just because it's a very, you know, well-performing light? Or are there other lights out there that, um, you know, are on the same playing field with the, uh, with the radions and just don't get uh, oh, totally. the buzz? Yep. Uh, yes, to all of that. It's a good light. Uh, a lot of word of mouth. Everybody considers that to be maybe the best. And that's only because of word of mouth. It checks a whole lot of boxes for both coral and people because people see the coral underneath that light and they're like, wow, that looks really good. A whole lot of that is the 410 nanometer that the Ecotech is putting out. It is, uh, you know, it has a good following and it's it's been around for a while. I've been to the factory. I was able to tour the facility, and it was a great tour. It's an interesting thing to see, both new lights coming in and uh, a container full of returned lights that have been re to be recycled, that kind of thing. So talk about some other lights that um, have impressed you in, in terms of their, you know, being maintainable and, and also their performance. Yep. Um, AI is also sister company of course i mean it's the same it's the same people as ecotech that that's a decent light at a, a little lower budget uh the metris has been fantastic what i like about the metris is it does have true uv where you don't necessarily see that in many other lights it's maintainable and that it can be taken apart the clear cover that covers the metris you could just slide that thing right out once you take a side panel off uh, the pucks themselves are individually replaceable. So the 7206 has six pucks, and they all, if, if something happens to them, and nothing has happened to mine, but if something happens to them, you can just unplug a puck and replace it. That also affords uh, the users with older lights to upgrade to a newer puck. So if uh, GHL created a new puck design, 
changing the spectrum slightly, whatever, that's a replaceable unit. So you're you're basically using both the, the Mitras and the uh, the Radions, I guess the fours, right, simultaneously. Yep. What are you, what are your what, yeah. are, what are your thoughts in terms of using those, um, you know, side by side, so to speak? I mean, not not exactly side by side, but. Yep. Um, I. I'm a set and forget light kind of person. It's awesome that both of those offerings give you a lot of opportunity to to dial in, to fiddle with them, to do whatever. But I just set the lights to a known good spectrum and I leave them alone. There's no use. Uh, there's no use changing any of the spectrum once you get it set. The color difference is a. It, you see a color difference. There is a color difference with exact same corals in same water in different tanks under those different lights um and and i can attribute that to the different spectrum where the ecotech has 410 nanometer it does not have uv the slider says uv but it's not and then the uh the uh, ghl metris does have uv and and I, because the spectrums under the spectrometer look so similar i have to assume that difference is the uv interesting um have you had an opportunity to uh, test the um, Philips uh, Coral Care light? I haven't. Okay. I asked. I did ask. I reached out to them. Um, I said, I will pay shipping both ways. Send me a demo light, and I would love to test it like I have the other lights. They're like, no thank you, but here's some IP ICP tests if you want to say nice <laughs> things about us. ICP <laughs> tests. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, I really wanted to test that light, and it would have been a cool opportunity. But well, it um, it, it it sounds to me like it's a um, it's an interesting light, and it sounds like it it's going to be a good potential replacement for T5 users that really like the uh, the spread that they get with the T5s. And and I don't know, I I haven't um, read much or heard much in terms of the kind of par that's cranking out of those things. I think that might be one of the um, the uh, the things the um, potential knock against those uh, lights is that they might not have as much giddy up but maybe first let me correct something real quick i was thinking ati so it was ati i reached out not okay. Phillips. uh but also similar form factors right and i think uh i think and you mentioned t5 i think the fact that ati is getting into that game i think that's that's uh that's a hint that ultimately T5s will be a thing of the past at some point. So I'm, I'm really new in terms of using LEDs, and, and I think one of the things that I've um, certainly learned is, well, first of all, you can really, really tinker with those lights nonstop, and, and that seems pretty scary to me because, you know, being a metal halide T5 guy for my whole yep. reef-keeping career, it was just pretty much plug them in, set them on a timer, and there you go. Whereas LEDs, right. I mean, they're, they're so, um, there's just so many different things that you can do to adjust the, uh, the different, you know, channels of, of, of the spectrum. And, uh, you know, you can get into this whole thing where you, maybe you got two thirds of your corals are looking great in terms of the colors, maybe one third or not. And so you start monkeying around with the, uh, with the spectrum and you start changing things. Yep. And, and that sounds kind of dangerous to me. So, you know, one of the things that I really wanted to do before I even put corals into my tank was to kind of like settle on a spectrum and, and not change it. I, you know, li li listen, Why? it's going to be, 
I don't know what's going to happen down the road when I start putting corals in the tank and I start seeing things happening in, in front of me and like uh, um, maybe I can tweak the color uh, spectrum here or there. But um, yeah, can you talk about that? I mean, that's that seems like it's very, very tempting, but also potentially very um, risky. It is. I'll argue that you should still continue to do what you've always done. You've, you've followed others' recommendations or maybe you blaze that trail yourself. And you picked your metal halide bulb. This was the bulb that I was going to go with. And you maybe you stuck with that bulb the whole time, right? Yeah. Why change, right? So pick the spectrum that you feel is good for you, that mimics the light that you, that you want to have, and just leave it. The corals will acclimate. The only thing you got to worry about is the difference between maybe when you move them over, the metal halide par versus what you're going to see under the metris. The metris may be higher, so uh, putting your corals lower or acclimating with the lights is something you'll have to consider. Yeah. But I don't think, I don't think monkeying around with, with uh, a spectrum is worthwhile. Pick a known good one and just leave it. Just focus on the ramps. Yeah, John Reefer in Vermont uh, makes a comment that uh, you can't argue with, but uh, he's, I agree that the LEDs can be configured, and that is a double-edged sword, but the fact that they can be configurable breaks the barriers that metal halides do not have. So, yeah, for totally. sure. Yep. That's why I say set and forget. There's no reason to change the LEDs once you're, once you're running with a known good spectrum, and you can get that information online. Right. Yep. Just uh, looking at some more of the comments here. Yeah, folks, certainly uh, feel free to, to throw out some questions there for, for Jim. Um, and, uh, oh, that, uh, that was an interesting comment there. It was helpful review, but I think, I, I, I think, I think we, uh, we get what you're talking about there, Ewok. <laughs> um, all right, so let's, uh, let's, let's move, let, let's press on. And, and talk about some, some other stuff. And, and um, so you talked about, you know, alkalinity and, and, and that um, you, you have uh, your alkalinity at pretty much rock solid at, at uh, 8 dKH. Yep. What, um, what's been a part of that? What have you um, been doing to keep it rock solid at that level? Uh, that's new. So a new addition uh, was uh, I picked up the cage tractor from GHL, and that was a that was a Black Friday thing. I got a sweet deal on the doser. I bought the I bought the item separately, so great deal on the doser. And then the um, cage tractor from Marine Depot with a, they had a great sale going on. Um, that was that was that was fun. So I've I've never I've never really. Thought I cared about uh, automated alkalinity testing until I started watching Moki's automated testing with his Alcatronic, and I was like, "Well, this is a lot of data. This is some data that I could play with. This is data that I could make changes to the system and understand the impact to Alc and watch the swing and see what happens, that kind of thing." But I got uh, uh, I got the cage director set up. That was super easy, and I dialed in. So something I did was, and 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 this is a I have to give up control to do this. Yeah. Right? I have to be able to set the thing auto. If I so choose, set it to automatically drive. I'm comfortable with that because that's how I drive to work every day. But it's a uh, it you can adaptively set the doser, the GHL doser, to function off of the data that the cage director is providing. 
So you set your target DKH and you set the allowable variance for the pump to change its dose to keep pace with your target uh, based on what the cage director is, the data that it's providing. And then you just hit go. And you you watch, you can actively watch the dose volume change based on the cage reading from the cage director. It's pretty cool. So do you do you watch the, uh, do you look at that data on a daily basis? That's the first thing I look at when I wake up in the <laughs> really? morning. Just because, just because I was like, what it do overnight? Because I just haven't had this visibility in the past. I literally tested weekly alkalinity. Yeah. I had no understanding of what it was happening during the yeah. day. I had no understanding changes that I would make, and even fragging, right? What, what is, what's the frag impact on alkalinity? Uh, but now I have that data and I'm a little addicted. So yeah, Moki is saying no more ALK swings for me after the uh, auto testing the ALK. Um, now I could just get auto testing for everything else. Well, there's, there's some potential solutions there, out there, right? There, there is. There, I'm pretty excited. There is that. one active one, the Trident, which I think you've, uh, we talked about, you test it, right? And then GHL's got one coming out, the ion director. I have a Trident. Um, I have a Trident in the garage that I'm going to take apart that it was sent to me because it's broken and I'm going to see what's inside and I'm going to see if I can repair it. I want to talk, I want to, I want to experience the repairability of that thing because it's not like what I see with GHL, but I just want to be able to experience it. Um, I'm big on making, uh, making informed opinions, informed decisions. And what I don't want to do is say, this thing's the best and I've never even used it or I've used it and I've never seen it broken, that kind of thing. So I just, I like learning. If I can get a hold of different equipment, that's what I'll do. So, um, and sorry if I missed this because I was just reading through some of these comments. And thanks folks for, uh, for um, the, uh, the contributions. Really appreciate that. Awesome. Um, what was your impression once you kind of took apart the, um, the Trident? Uh, the pumps are way up in there and it's not, it's not like what I would hope to have as far as repairability. I have not fully disassembled and I will, I want to know what's in there, but, uh, initial opinion is it is, I would, I would expect that to be an advanced repair or maybe medium to above. I, I don't know. It's not something that I, I would, I would totally take that thing apart, but I don't know that it's, uh, that it's, you know, repairable at home, expected to be repairable at home. What, um, and, and, and what is your hope of the, uh, the GHL ion director? It, um, it's going to be measuring some different things versus what the Trident is measuring. Yeah. The ion D is pretty sweet. So right. Nitrates and potassium, not right. Um, magnesium, yep. calcium. Yep. All the things that I really care about. Um, the, and it, what's that leave me? That leaves me phosphate. We need phosphate to get measured auto, auto, automatically by, by somebody. That, I know that's a really, really tough one because it's just so it small. Is. And, and yep. I've had, had conversations with, um, with some folks about it. And, and uh, yeah, listen, it's, it's an important parameter, but it's a very tough one to get the, uh, the automated measurement from. So... I don't know. I guess we could still hold out hope. You know, maybe we can all tough it out with our first world problem yeah. and <laughs> manually test our phosphates. Maybe. Do, what 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 uh, manual tester do you like? Uh, hobby uh, test kit do you like for uh, for phosphates? 
Do you, Anna, have you, have you uh, used yeah. others or? Have I used others? No, I haven't for faucets. Okay. Um, so let's get into the discussion about uh, con uh, controllers, right? And, yep. and uh, so you've got the uh, Neptune's Apex uh, controller, you've got the GHL, um, Proflux. There's a new one out that CoralView put out there, the Hydros. You, um, when we talked before the show offline, you basically told me you have a ton of controllers that you've taken apart, used, worked with. So what's the skinny on the controllers you've, you've had experience with? Uh, I started with a ReefKeeper, and quite honestly, that is still the controller that's on the display. I have all the goodies to switch it over to the GHL, but I just haven't done that yet. Um, the ReefKeeper was great. Uh, you hear a lot of people talk about it. It was it was a totally capable system. It was old school. You, I have not taken apart one of the power bars, and maybe when I pull that thing off the tank, I will. Um, controllers are interesting because there's not much that you can replace inside a controller. Like a GHL, you can add functions to it just by plugging in cards which is pretty sweet uh nobody else has that as far as i know um yeah reef keeper e coral pro um the control two from coral view the hydros control two two three apex one broke one broken apex and then two others that are fully functional and then the ghl oh and then a GHL Mini, too. I've got the Mini Wi-Fi. Which one did you start off with? I mean, obviously, you, you had to start off with one of them, right? And, and um, which one was yeah. it, and, and why did you migrate to, a, uh, to another one? Uh, dude Shane said, go get an Apex, so I bought a ReefKeeper. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how it went. Now, the second, you know, I think the second was the E-Coral that Moki was kind enough to let me uh, long-term test. And then uh, I did buy a, um, an, uh, an Apex Junior, which is pretty bulletproof. Those old school Apexes were pretty tight. That's still running on the tank. That actually controls the auto water change. Um, and then the others followed. Let's, um, let's also talk about dosers. You know, you've got um, you know, the, the doser from, um, from Neptune. You've got the GHL doser. What, what are your uh, thoughts yep. on dosers? Um, the, the dose is loud. That's a big, loud pump. And I don't know why it's loud. I don't know why it's so big too. I don't know why I need those big, if I'm dosing two part with that thing, I don't know why it needs to be so big. I understand the use of a larger pump head, a larger peristaltic. If you're doing higher volume stuff and I need to be able to pull those pump heads off and replace them or replace the tubing because that tubing's going to wear out. I've used a lot of, uh, peristaltic pumps in pharmaceutical environments. And that's something you have to do from time to time. But if I'm dosing, if I'm dosing, uh, all, whatever, all the crazy dosing that I'm doing, the GHL doser is certainly my choice. Well, talk about maintenance on these, uh, peristaltic, uh, dosers. What, what's your, uh, maintenance routine? How often do you clean the heads and replace parts? Yep. Uh, so background wise in pharma, you don't reuse tubing. Tubing is a single use thing. You put it through a peristaltic and you use it once and you throw it out. That's where all these peristaltic pumps came from. That's the history of, of pump maintenance. Uh, what I do is quarterly. 
I make sure I keep it clean. I make sure that there's no uh, contamination getting inside those pump heads. They're super easy to pull off and take off and clean, so you don't necessarily have to replace everything, but pull it, clean it, inspect it, do a, uh, a calibration, a pump calibration to make sure it's where it needs to be, and you're good to go. You can always inspect everything inside of there. It's not something that has to be time replaced. It's also dependent upon you. So on the KHD, that thing's pulling water and ejecting water very quickly where the the reagent pump hardly moves right. at all, yeah. right? So those two fast spinners are going to wear out much, much sooner. So you just got to pull them apart every once in a while. and take. So them. you never replace the tubing? You don't have to replace If you the keep tubing. it clean. If you keep it clean, or if the tubing is indicating where, maybe a roller has a flat spot, maybe something has happened, maybe something has gotten in there and you just missed it, you should absolutely have that stuff on hand. And I do. I've got the spares in the garage. But as long as you keep it clean, it'll last. Yeah, I use a little um, acetone on the, uh, the tubing <laughs> and, the, uh, and the rollers and, and the shaft on the, uh, on the pump there. And, and that it's really important that you stay on top of that stuff because sometimes, yep. you, you know, if you're not watching it carefully and, and uh, you kind of like let it go, then, um, you know, if you're using, if you're dosing two-part or whatnot, you know, you're, uh, you're up a creek because it can really impact things dramatically if you're not, yep. if you're not on top of the maintenance. So I always, always definitely say to, to, to people in terms of, uh, you know, advice in this hobby is don't ignore the basic maintenance on equipment because you'll pay the price later down the road. You know, laziness is a killer in this hobby and I'm, you know, I'm guilty of it. It's so easy to, at a minimum, pull those parts apart and take a look. You'll see it right away. So I don't know why, I don't know why that's not a common thing. And maybe it is, but absolutely pull your pump heads apart, take a look, remember how they go back together. Yeah. Uh, and then put those back back together and just keep an eye on them. Do you have a uh, an auto water change system set up? Do you use a um, an auto top off to uh, to do that? Yeah. So a couple of things, right? With calc, calc is always dosing. Um, ATO is also not controlled by anything but an older. I don't even remember what it is. Uh, brain dead. So I'm not going to go there. But it's it's just a super simple ATO. Um, auto water change. I do do a relatively slow drip auto water change with the junior and the dose. Um, just moving a little bit of salt water and it probably equates to, uh, five gallons every 12 days or so. Right. So what percent is that? That's, um, Oh, that's hardly anything, yeah. right? So it's a, just a couple percent. But I do because I'm pulling, I'm doing four tests on the cage director each day. So I'm pulling 50 mil plus another 20 mil flush, so 70 per test. I do add that back in with auto water change. So what I pull out is less than what I put back in. So it maintains the living. Yeah, interesting. I, um, I've never done auto water changes. I've always you know, used, when I first started in this hobby, I used a, a liter meter three from Spectra Pure. Yep. And that's peristaltic um, pump. <laughs> and actually, I dug that thing out, and and because uh, I'm, I'm I'm waiting for another uh, auto top off device from SpectraPure to, uh, it's I guess that it uh, it's been out of stock for for many many months. It's their um, Ultra Precision something or other. It's a uh, it's an auto top it's okay. it's an auto top off type of thing where essentially there's a um, something in your sump that detects the water level 
and it will um, dose depending on on where the water level is in the in the sump. But I've, I found their their original unit, the um, the UPNC or whatever they call it, to be very very effective. So uh, I'm kind of like just biding my time until they they have inventory with the new one. But I did break out my liter meter three just as kind of like a stopgap, and that thing is just still working like a charm. I mean, it's got to be 15 to 20 years old, and I dusted it off and put it on the, on the tank. That raises a really good question. You've been at this for a long time. What's the one piece of equipment that you would totally bring back or remake if you could? Mm. That, uh, if, if I could... Well, I don't want the metal halide bulbs to go away. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be around for They'll a be at least another five years or something like that. I think that's one of the reasons why I want LEDs with the new tank. It was just a little, little fear that uh, metal halides might not be as readily available in terms of those bulbs down the road. But what piece of equipment would I want to have back? Um, man, that's, that's a, I've never really kind of thought about that. I, I've just kind of been like... Thinking forward, I would I would love to have something that would automatically measure phosphate. I mean that that would be my um, yep. my one wish. But um, yeah, right. fair enough. And what what do you what do you think is the most critical piece of equipment for you in terms of your setup? A roadie, I think. Without good water, I mean you can go buy water, but man, that's a pain. Uh, I think a well maintained roadie. I mean we're talking. What is that thing putting out? 150 maybe um, a day, right? And what I was, what I have used in pharmaceutical is uh, 20 gallons a minute. I mean, and, the, and it is so critical in that environment that that equipment is maintained. Yeah. And and I and I treat I try to treat my roadie the same. So two membranes and two DI canisters with my with my uh, meter in between those canisters. So when the first one's exhausted, maybe not exhausted, but absolutely showing a reading of one, it's done. And I'll take the second one, move it to the first position, and I'll refill the first one and put it in the second. So I, I always ensure I have clean water. I think, I think really that's when the, the hobby turned for me is when I got When that. you ditched the, uh, the garden hose? <laughs> I did when I had to. Actually, I went from the guard hose to the. I was like, man, I replaced this filter in my refrigerator. Why the hell can't I use that? So then I'd go upstairs with my siphon and I'd stick it in the water thing. And I would. That's, there you that's go. That's where my water came from. That didn't work. You know what, you know what I, I did once when I, when I was in the beginning of the hobby? Um, like when I first started in this hobby, you know, with metal halides and whatnot, it was very important to have a chiller, you know, because yep. the lights heated up the water. And, you know, I just started on the hobby. I didn't want to spend a lot of money on a chiller. So I, I went to some, like, water filtration warehouse where they had these old uh, water coolers, you know, where, you know, you, you press the button and you get the water um, from, the, uh, from the water cooler. I, tried to, I yeah. tried to figure out how to turn that into a chiller, and it didn't work out too well. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> I had a chiller. Uh, I have since switched to fans. But it was it was something I had never had, and there was a local one, and I got a good deal on it. And sometimes in the summer, the tank will get a little warm. Did you have any? I had interesting phosphates living in my chiller. Um, I there was one there was one winter when I didn't pull it, and I just left it on the tank, and my phosphates were just crazy. Hmm. 
and I was dosing lanthanum chloride to keep them down. I was like, something's wrong. And I pulled the chiller and my phosphates went to really? zero. And then I, I took the chiller outside, I flipped it upside down and I ran hose through it and black death came wow. out of that thing. I have no idea what, what it was, but it was horrible. And ever since then, I, I have not gone back to a chiller because it's really difficult to clean those things out, right? There's no, there's no chiller chamber drain like yeah. maybe you see on a, on a washing machine. Yeah. There's no way to get that water out. You know, it sounds like, you know, I, I don't know. I wonder what percent of the hobbyists out there actually do have a chiller um, these days now that uh, LEDs are so, uh, you know, um, common. I yep. mean, I, I have a chiller on my 187-gallon system that um, rarely turns on in the summertime here in Vermont because my tanks are down in the uh, finished basement, so it stays cool in the summertime. And, and, you know, I do have a fan over the frag tank, so that will go on and, and cool the system down before that chiller goes on. So it, it is pretty rare my, my chiller goes on, but now you're making me wonder what I got, uh, what, what's living in that chiller. <laughs> it was um, Fans are easier. So we got Ewoks asking a question. What, do you, what, what, what does everybody think about auto feeders? Are they worth it? Um, I feel like they're too expensive for something. I, you know, my one comment about auto feeders is I, I, I wish they, there was an auto feeder that um, was reasonably priced that could dispense frozen food. You know? Yeah, agreed. It's, it's pretty much just, um, you know, pellet type of uh, food or flakes, I would imagine, right? But have you used the auto feeders at all? At all? I haven't. I have cheap ones that I just, I, have, I don't use them. And I just, I have a, a cool neighbor. And the little girl next door comes over and keeps the fish happy when my daughter, who is local, can't do it if we're away from the house. Um, I think there's some decent options out there, but being able to feed frozen would be amazing because of, I mentioned earlier, that copper band, that thing loves black worms. Yeah. I go to the store and I buy a big bag, go to the LFS, buy a big bag of black worms. I scoop them into ice cube trays that I got from Bed Bath & Beyond that are silicone bottomed. And then I create little black worm popsicles. Nice put those in a bag in the freezer. That way I don't have to keep live black worms in the refrigerator, which I did do for a long Ooh. time, which gets you the stink eye from the messes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then I just thaw out those black worms with some mices every once in a while. Well, every other day for the copper band, and that works just fine. Yeah, I've, um, I've started making my own homemade food, and, and it's a, uh, a whole um, slurry of... of um, shrimp and and clams and and um what else am i using the silver sides and even um well nori i throw in there and i throw yep. in some reef roids and and um some garlic extract vitacam you know it's just kind of like throw everything in there but the kitchen sink and mix it up in a play will it blend yeah huh? exactly That's cool. <laughs> yep. but i also put some um Oyster feast in that concoction when I when I dispense it into the tank, so that seems to be a pretty good uh, combination. Um, yeah, a frozen feeder would be huge. Yes, yeah, simulated reality for sure. Um, let's also talk, uh, Jim. You you've um, I know you've done a lot of do-it-yourself type of videos. What um, what are some of the um, the do-it-yourself pieces of equipment you've created that you think others can do somewhat easily? So. Um, an easy one for me, and it's not really DIY, but it's sort of a kludge together of a couple devices that work really well. Uh, I use Jabo pumps. I have Jabo power heads in the frag tank, and I wanted to be able to control those from the Metris. So 
Jabo makes or not I don't know if Jabo actually makes it but there is a a a, a 0 to 10 converter for Jabo <clears> pumps <throat> that I was able to create the cable for the Metris with the Metris uh, breakout box so now the Metris controls uh two or three Jabos in the frag tank and that works really well I've I've made my own lights just because I want to be able to do it so I'll go buy a whole bunch of Cree 6 watts and put them on some 20 millimeter extruded aluminum just to create this big blue thing. I've made multiple smaller lights out of uh, small pucks, either ones I've assembled with uh, Cree little 20 millimeter discs or um, or something smaller that's already assembled as a puck, and then I modify it to work for a reef tank, like a 450 millimeter or mill, um, nanometer puck. Um, I'll make my own because I got a laser here behind me, 3D printer, whatever. I'll make my own frag racks. If I need an emergency frag rack, I'll totally just cut some acrylic and go get some magnets, some coated magnets downstairs and create a quick frag rack, that kind of thing. I have dabbled in 3D printing, uh, first uh, virtual reality creation of a rockscape because you could do clay modeling inside yeah. VR and then shift that over to 3D printing so I could create... And either an assemblable, I'm not sure how to say that, so multi-pieces connected together to create a larger scape, or just a nice small nanoscape, something I've been playing with. So you could uh, essentially create one of those NSA scapes with 3D printer. Is that what you're saying? You could. You could create That'd be anything. Awesome. You want the... You want, you want the Grand Canyon in your fish <laughs> tank? You could do that. You want, uh, you want Devil's Tower in your tank? Done. But you, you would need Canyon. one big block of rock, though, right? Uh, no, you could assemble them oh, Okay, together. little pieces of rock and put them together. Little pieces. You're kind of blowing my mind, Jim. Can you do that with <laughs> Can you do that with live rock? Can you take some live rock and put it in and, and carve it up like a 3D printer? No. no. Can't do that? But you got to go find somebody that does chainsaw work and makes eagles <laughs> out of logs, and they'll totally hook you up. That's what I want. I want to be able to do like an NSA scape with live rock. I don't want to like have to yep. sit there and, and I mean, they're really cool and all that stuff, but it looks like a lot of work and I don't know. I think you got to be kind of creative and talented, right? You'd have to be able to, well, you, well, you could reverse it. You, you could 3D print it, turn it into a silicone mold, and then somehow figure out how to pour your own rock in there and get creative. <laughs> so, so go talk to the concrete yeah. guy and, and get yourself a special blend. There you go. So um, we, we talked a little bit about do-it-yourself equipment. You, you've also done um, some, some content, some videos about um, budget gear picks. What are, your, uh, what are some of your budget gear picks? Yeah, there's a whole lot of talk about really expensive stuff, and I have really cheap stuff, and I have really expensive stuff, and it, it gives you the opportunity to both value the pros and cons of both. Um, Jabo, I've already talked about Jabo powerheads. They they have treated me well. I've had no problems. The pumps, little iffy, uh, like a like a sump pump, <clears throat> a little little iffy there. Um, lighting, I I like testing budget lights because there's so many of us that just can't jump into an eight hundred dollar light or a six hundred dollar <clears throat> light. Or, I mean, even if you find something used for four hundred, it's still pretty pretty steep for. High school, people on a budget, somebody in a college dorm, that kind of thing. So, I mean, Viper Spectra, I took a Viper Spectra and uh, motivated by a BRS test video that I was like, mm, I want to see what's really up. So I took that and I figured out how to 
how to remove, well, first replace the lenses with 120 degree lenses. Then I decided that wasn't good enough, too much of a hot spot, not enough spread. So pulled the majority of the lenses back off. And that light, I mean, then I could drop it down over the deck. That light's weird. It's an awful lot of uh, warm white and probably too much warm white. You could take that that plate that all those LEDs are out and stick it in your oven at 350 and bake it for a little bit. Then you could pluck those LEDs off and replace them with blues. That's something I did with that AliExpress 24-inch uh, bar that is sold for like $45, which is a freaking awesome deal. And then you could you could take the bar the the board out of that thing and like I just said, stick it in your oven without anybody watching, so you don't get yelled at. <laughs> And then you can totally replace those LEDs and give you a custom spectrum, that kind of thing. Um, I do like, I, I've modified a BRS, like 1.1 ml pump to make that DC controllable, make that speed controllable with a pulse width modulation dimmer to give you uh, certainly way less than 1.1 and upwards of 5 mil a minute. I, if, like, if it has screws... I'm going to take it apart, and if I can take it apart, then maybe I can figure out uh, how to use it a little differently. So I got I got a budget uh, gear pick that I'd like to throw out there, and I actually I um, I pass this piece of advice along to uh, to Moke, and I think he has some good success with it. It's a very cheap UV sterilizer. Have you ever heard of the? Uh, I think it's called the AA Green oh. Killing Machine. Had it before, Moke. You, you had it. Yep. I had it in a tank. I've used it, and that was a great recommendation. That's the good. Device. Yeah, I um, I had a bacterial bloom on the, my 187 when I set it up initially, and so I uh, I used two of those, and I think they cost oh, yeah. 90 bucks a piece or 24 waters, and uh, it knocked it out. You know, it knocked out that bacterial bloom. And the great thing about the uh, the these UV uh, sterilizers is that they're portable. You know, they're not hard plumbed yep. in. So you can share. You can, you can pass them along to a friend. And, yep, you totally and, can. And uh, yeah, it's 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 a it's a beautiful thing. So it's, you know, it it um, I think that's an example of a piece of equipment you don't have to break the bank with. That's very effective. My only challenge with that device is because I want to know it's working, and you can't. I'm used to UV that has a little indicator yeah. uh, on pharma water yeah. that you can see if the 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 because you can't look at that. That's UV right. that you shouldn't yeah. look at. The stuff that's coming out of a of a, an aquarium light. That's not that low, and it's it's safe. Um, but those that UV is a little dangerous for our eyeballs. And, uh, but I put it on a kilowatt, so I plugged that thing into a kilowatt to understand the wattage that it was pulling, and that gave me the assurance that the light bulb. And that's one way of knowing it that bulb's actually functioning. Just pay attention to that. How much how much wattage that. Yeah, I, I mean that's the thing. This is a, this is not a UV sterilizer that you should be using on a constant basis because you just don't know if it's working when the bulb needs to re, be replaced and all that sort of thing. And and um, yeah, I think it's something that's a great thing to use to solve a problem. You know, totally. um, if you got dinos or bacterial bloom or whatever it is, that's or the cleaning people come in your house and your tank gets a little foggy. There you go. Right, Moki. <laughs> Is that what happened? <laughs> yeah, I think that's what I think that's what he narrowed it down to. The cleaning people. Wow. Yeah. There's something something getting sprayed in the basement. I once heard this. Um, my local LFS had a um, kick-ass SPS uh, reef tank show tank, and um, this was in in uh, Connecticut when I used to live in Connecticut. I think the store was in Stanford at the time, and the tank crashed because somebody put in one of those plug-in air fresheners next to the tank underneath the, uh, next to the sump. 
Yep. And that totally screwed up with the uh, screwed up the tank. So these these reef, too fishy. Yeah, these reef tanks are very very sensitive. Yeah, a little sensitive. Um, Jim, what else, man? What what else gear wise that we haven't talked about that's uh, interesting in your eyes? Cameras. Let's talk cameras. Uh, let's call cameras. So I've uh, I've shot since I was a kid, since probably my kid's age now. So early teen, and I've shot with everything. I shot professionally while I was in the Air Force. I did uh, all sorts of fun things with really expensive cameras. But uh, and I have an SLR. I've got an older D seven thousand from Nikon, which I I really enjoy using. But now it's old and its sensor is no good. You'll see a lot of um, a lot of Sony talk. There's a lot of good cameras out there, but what I like to do is find either used or way old past models that certainly don't have all the the whiz bang gadgets that a right. brand new camera has, yep. and I buy those. So I've, I mean, I'm talking to an A6000 right now, Sony with that pancake lens, and that's a that's a sweet camera. And then I would occasionally pull that off and take it downstairs and use it. But now I also have uh, a 6100. So, I mean, that's several generations old. Yeah. I don't know where we are with Sony's now, but that is a great camera. If you can find a used A6000, you'll be perfectly happy with that camera. That's not, so that's not 4K. That's, um, that's 1080p, right? It is 1080. I think the 6100 is 4K. Okay. Yeah. I, um, I shoot with the Sony a7 III. I bought that, um, about a year and a half ago, I switched from uh, from Canon. I had a uh, a Canon uh, 5D Mark III, and it was okay. great. It was great for photography, but for video, it did not have 4K, and and I thought that uh, I needed to step up my game to 4K, since yep. that um, is really the uh, the way to go these days. But I, I I do love that camera. I think it's got great autofocusing in terms of video. I think. Um, it's it's also pretty steady. I mean, I do have a gimbal that I that I use with that um, camera, but um, yep. it's uh, I'm I'm really happy with it. The uh, the one the couple of knocks I have against it is that um, the uh, the LCD display in the back does not flip around where you can kind of see yourself. So that's that's kind of a pain in the ass. The um, the other is that you cannot do 4K and 120 frames per second. So you can't do that super slow-mo like you could with, um, I guess, the, uh, the Lumix, the Panasonic cameras. But, yep. but Sony did just come out recently with a, um, with a new camera that can do all that stuff. But it's a little bit out of my price range right now. So I'll sit tight. <laughs> yeah, I got you. Back when I was shooting, this was airborne laser time. Um, we didn't have a photography group and because I was a hobbyist, they looked at me. I was a mil right. I'm a military guy. I'm a uniform guy. They're like, you know how to do this, right? And I was like, yeah, I kind of know how to do this. So they're like, here's a budget. Go buy everything you need. And then, right, a couple months later, I'm walking around with a twelve thousand dollar body, um, five hundred mil prime lens combo. And I was like, well, this is pretty sweet. Look what I get to play with now. Um, that was all Canon. Okay, I grew up Canon. That was Canon at work, and then I switched to Nikon at home just to see. This was another one of those things where I was like, I want to see what the competition has to offer. And then same thing kind of happened with Sony. I just like trying different equipment. Yeah. No, it, it, it's, it's cool. I mean, that's a big part, I think, of um, kind of showing off the tank in terms of being able to um, 
you know, has some photography skills and some, some video um, skills. It's, um, I have a lot of fun with it, and, and I've, I've uh, definitely uh, seen what you've been able to do with it. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. I like yours. You have natural light. So the color that the color that you show and you see a lot of this. Right. And this bugs me. And I don't know why it bugs me. I just have a thing for it. If you're a hobbyist and you want to gold chain up your pictures or whatever you want to do. Right. If you want to hop it up, if you want to add a little plus to it, just to <laughs> do what you want. Fine. If you're selling corals and I respect your videos and your pictures for that, if you're selling corals, don't be hopping up those colors. Yeah, no, I know. It, um, <laughs> it's interesting because uh, with, with LEDs and, and all the video uh, tricks you can do in terms of the editing, the, whether it's pictures or videos or what have you, there, there is a lot of, um, I mean, I've, I've been a victim of it. I know I've ordered stuff online years ago and I was like, that's not what I ordered. But That's not yeah, it. Yeah, yep. so yeah, there are, there are a few out there that will uh, kind of... Uh, take advantage of that sort of thing but that, that also goes back to the what we're talking about at the beginning of the show with top down you know yeah and um that is the prevalent way that people show corals these days in terms of the sellers but you know i'm uh yeah i just whatever i really have a problem with it and i've i've always if you're if your thumb is blue while you're holding your little baby nub and you're taking a picture of it <laughs> i know what you've done if your thumb is blue i know what just look at the frag plug right the, the, <laughs> yeah, totally. The color of the frag plug looks bizarre. Then, then buyer beware. And if it's really, really purple. Yeah, yeah. If you got like pink and purple egg crate, then uh, you know that's not a good thing. <laughs> I really shouldn't have a problem, but I do. So, uh, Jim, we're gonna uh, we're gonna wrap it up because I don't want to keep you on here uh, much longer. I, again, I really appreciate you taking the time to join me since you have your own live stream and, and a life. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. I really appreciate being there. I think it's awesome. I have a ton yet to learn from you and you'll be hearing from me. I, you have the experience I don't have and I really appreciate it. That's one of the, one of the cool things about the hobbies, right? The people who will share their information freely because it's not a, I figured out how to do something. I'm not going to tell anybody because I want to be special. It's, I, I see mostly that it is just this information sharing makes it work. oh yeah no for sure we gotta we gotta help one another out and uh it, it, you know it's all about um passing along good knowledge and trying to sift sift through some of the you know the bad information that's out there i think there's there there, there are a lot of different ways to keep a reef tank and and um but um you know i think if you kind of stick to the basics and yep. and really um don't try to like make a lot of changes too fast. I always say is is a good philosophy. Takes three months. Any change you make, right? You're really not going to realize the benefit or the failure of that change for three months. At least that's how it feels. Every time I do something, I have to write it down because I know sometime in the future something's going to happen. And I'm not going to know what I have done. Yeah. Like uh, like uh, early on, I figured out that putting calc in ATO is just a horrible idea because you and I both have seasons. If you're living in Florida and you really don't have a season or uh, the basin or valley or whatever in California where your, your weather is pretty constant, uh, they can do this. But calc in ATO, the difference in evaporative rates across seasons is just ridiculous, right? So in the summertime, I'm not really evaporating all that much. My house is 50% humidity in the wintertime. 
that humidity is down around 20% and I'm evaporating easily 50% or 100%, probably double what I'm doing during the summer. That means that much calc is going in. People try to compensate by lessening the amount of calc they put in it. Just don't do that. Just get a separate container with a cheap doser and something you trust though, and then uh, dose them separately. Right. Um, just looking at some of the comments. Yeah, folks, any, any more comments for, uh, for Jim? Throw them in there. We're gonna uh, we're gonna wrap it up pretty soon. So so Jim, what um, what have we not talked about that you're excited about in uh, 2021 in terms of new products that are on tap? We talked about auto testing, and I think you're gonna start seeing, and you were already seeing it, right? The various vendors that are coming out. Alcatronic makes a decent machine, and they're coming out with the Mastertronic. I think that's going to have an interesting following when it comes. I'm excited to see what happens what, there. Uh, I'm psyched about what's, what, what's, uh, what's the Mastertronic in terms of what does that measure? It's going to be similar to what was the one, ReefBot? It's going to, I think it's similar to that where you're using uh, – I can't speak to it. I really don't know, but I think it's using other tests to be able to do that full-range testing. Um, I'm psyched about the Ion D. I think that thing is because I respect GHL for taking their time. Uh, they could have released it sooner, but like you see a lot of equipment in the industry get released too soon and then all the users are frustrated. They eventually forget, but some people don't, right? I respect them holding back to make sure that that device is perfect. I think auto testing, as it becomes more prevalent, you just like lights, you go and you get your spectrum from the internet, your proven spectrum from the internet. You go get your proven auto testing equipment. You put it on your tank. The price will eventually come down. And so many more people are more successful because of it. They'll be able to, to maintain that stability you need. So we got a few more questions coming in. And, uh, and Ewok, man, you're, uh, all your comments are getting held for review here. So you got to behave. <laughs> are they good comments? I, you know, they're marginal comments. I don't want to get in trouble there and, like, release them. So I released a couple of them, but I think we got to, like, you know, we don't <laughs> want to go over the top here, Ewok. So you got to you got to be careful. But um, Lynn, Reef Nerd, Jim, who is your reefing idol? Everybody who is kind, right? The reefers who I, – I don't have one. There's just so many because everybody's so cool. I've got an awesome local group. Lynn's one of them. Moki's one of them. Ben, who uh, Mighty Nanotank, who used to live here. Daniel. I mean, there's so many cool people here. Um, to include all the the people in the local Facebook groups. I mean, everybody's always willing to help. Everybody's always willing to share. I mean, uh, whatever. Lynn and Moki are super generous, and I and I can't thank them enough. But. <sighs> You know, everybody who likes to share the information and does so in a kind, drama-free way. Great answer. Um, what else we got here? Macy's dad, favorite fish and coral. Hey, that, that, those are my questions at the end of a live stream. <laughs> <laughs> we can hold if you want. Uh, go ahead. Answer I'll that. Answer. Yeah, go, go no, ahead. So copper band butterfly is a beautiful fish. I just love that fish. Not only is it beautiful. Um, but it, it knows when I'm coming to feed it and it sort of looks at me. And also if I have an Aptasia, I have every bug that you could possibly have. I have had or do have, um, like Acropori eating flatworms. I got over that. But if I have a coral with an Aptasia or a rock or whatever, I can just hold it in the tank 
and the copper band immediately knows what I'm doing and comes over and will attack that Aptasia. I think that's sweet. That's a cool interaction, right? It's not just a fish running away from the glass. It's a, it's a fish coming over to get a treat, which I think is pretty cool. Coral. Uh, a long time ago, there's this dude, Brian. He lives up in Frederick, Maryland, and he hooked me up with my very first Walt Disney, which was a total nub. Um, and I have kept that Disney for years and years and years. And it, it was, it was the dead Disney at one time. So I'll reference me on Instagram. So that nub turned into a thing and I'm not going to call it a mini colony cause I got a problem with that too. But, um, it turned into a good sized coral, but then I screwed up and I lost my nitrates and phosphates and that thing whited out. And I got real close to it with a, uh, with a macro lens. And I was able to see tissue and polyps. So I knew it was still alive, but it totally looked dead. And I just left it in the tank and it came back. And now that's generally the donor Disney when I, uh, when I share locally. That's awesome. Um, hey, Manny, thanks for tuning in, guy. Are you asking me that question? Do I like the Mitras? Or is, are you asking, maybe you're asking both of us that question. Um, I think I, I know the answer in terms of what uh, Jim's opinion is of, of them. And uh, I'm, I'm really digging them so far. I just um, I don't have any corals in the tank yet, but I can't wait to uh, to put some corals underneath them. I like that the Metris does what it does with spread and spectrum with no lenses. Those are those are raw LEDs. There's no lens on top of that thing, so there's no distribution of the light beyond the reflector inside that light and the LED itself, which I think is pretty sweet. For I mean, this light's been around for a while, and there's no need to change it. It keeps working. Hey, Scotty uh, Damron, thanks, man, uh, complimenting us on the great stream and um, thanking Jim for your service to our country and, and Thank you. both you guys, for sh both of us for sharing knowledge. Thanks for tuning in there, uh, Scotty, once again. Um, just sifting through some more of these uh, comments. Uh, John Reefer in Vermont, what LFS do you go to? Uh, John, there's, there's not a lot of options here in Vermont, so um, I think uh, there's Green Mountain Corals in the, uh, in the Waterbury area and and um that's a good spot but uh yeah it's kind of slim pickings here i i do most of my shopping you know via the uh, World Wide web fellow reefers or some other um online establishments and for fish i pretty much use live aquaria and um yeah that's about it i don't know what what, what about you jim are you a um kind of person that likes to trade with local reefers do you uh hang out at the lfs if if it's a if it's a non-COVID type of world, <laughs> uh, real quick, do you have uh, do you have fellow reefers in your area? Do you have a club? Do you have others that you can? Not not a lot, not a ton, not a okay. ton. Yeah, it's it's definitely different. When I used to be down in Connecticut, New York area, there was a lot of people that. Um, yeah. But you know, I what what I enjoyed doing was going to frag swaps, and I still do that stuff. And unfortunately, we haven't had any of those for a while. But I, I, I definitely look forward to, you know, seeing those start back up. And that's where I see my old, all my old friends, all my old uh, reefing buddies. Yeah, I got you. COVID did uh, whatever. It did a trick on everything. But uh, not so much LFS. I mean, I have hung out with a couple of these people at various events here and there. Uh, Rap New York. That was fun. Um, a lot this this area this maryland northern virginia area is just ridiculous for the number of reefers there's some there's some really well-known reefers that are here moving some really pretty pieces there's a really cool group close that likes to share 
So, uh, and that's cool, right? I mean, you could say, can you, can you hook me up? And they're like, yeah, I'll hook you up or I'll just show up or Moki shows up or Lynn shows up, whatever. There's a bunch <clears> of us here that will just show up with way more bags than what you had anticipated receiving when you had made that deal online. That's awesome. Do you know, uh, have, have you dealt with John Coppolino before? Uh, I've seen him at the meetings. I know who he is, and he's yeah. Great, you have a coral name after you. Great guy. I'm gonna actually have him on the live stream, hopefully in in March. We're just uh, awesome. trying to figure out a date. Actually, I got some awesome guests coming up. I've got um, Julian Sprung's gonna be on the live stream. He gave us a talk, and he was awesome. Yeah, I got Matt Peterson's gonna be uh, coming from Coral Magazine. Um, I've got um, who else we got? I got. I have to put out a whole list, but I got a whole bunch of great people. Uh, lined up for the live stream but listen dude i don't want to um i don't want to keep you any longer here we're getting uh we're getting kind of late into the evening at least for me <laughs> i don't know if you're a night <laughs> yeah. owl but uh oh no no i'm not a night owl i'll be up at i'll be up at 4 30 um but uh anyway man any uh any final thoughts before we sign off thank you so much i really appreciate it it's great talking with you i've had the opportunity a couple times already and and i enjoy it uh, you have a cool experience that I just I haven't I haven't experienced that and it's it you you're able to share that and I'm able to learn from you and I appreciate that. Well, listen, man, yeah, it's it's been nice uh, connecting with you the last few weeks and definitely want to stay in touch. We'd love to have you back on the uh, on the live stream to talk reef again. That'd be great. Um, Thank you. So everybody, listen, thanks for tuning in. Appreciate um, the uh, the views and and. Um, yeah, so that'll do it for this show. Next, um, My next show is going to be Thursday, January 14th. I'm going to have Cindy, a.k.a. Reef Girl, on. And she has a nice following on social media as well. So, And she also does a live stream. I'm, I'm having all these live streamers on. My She's live stream. awesome. She was with me for, uh, for one of the streams. She's great. Yeah, cool. So I'm looking forward to having her on next week. So anyway, thanks again, everybody. Be safe out there.